Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks in the world who are on a mission to obtain freedom. What is freedom? We're about to find out. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited entrepreneur who has been chasing freedom her entire life. Beside me is my co-host, Jackie Asel, the anchor who keeps me grounded. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome back to the next episode of Clock Out the Vicarious Life. We're on episode 18, and I'm actually on time for once. We're, we're releasing one a week after the, the last one because I've got my shit together, and uh, I've got some awesome guests lined up, and, you know, Christmas is over, and all the other excuses have rolled out, and we're here live, and today is going to be magnificent. I have got Luke Hanley. He's the executive director and founder of Padma Organization, which we're going to hear what the hell that means. It's amazing. I'm so excited to hear all the details. Luke is a devoted husband and father, and we've invited him on the show today because, well, Padma Organization's motto is serving the planet and its inhabitants. I mean, is there anything better than that? Welcome, Luke. Thanks, Tracy. Good thank to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you so much for, for coming on. I heard amazing things about you via one of our agents that work here in the office. They're all true. They, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I verified. The good ones are true. <laughs> and we, we've we also got Jackie here. She's uh, she's going to tag along for this one as long as she doesn't have a coughing fit and bail out on me like she did the last uh, episode. Jackie, apologize to your fans. I'm so sorry. <laughs> So, yes, so she's back. We are going to have a great talk today with Luke. Uh, we're talking, like, uh, every it, it's wild. The first thing I want to talk about before we get into what Padma means is the fact that you and I grew up in the same spot, and you spent your summers in Elk Park population, like, 12. Maybe. In the summer because you came, there was 14, There's right? 14. <laughs> <laughs> and we grew up in the same place. And here's a wild story. So, you, and I was dying to tell you this. You and your family were the Nez Perce. You guys are the place that have the great big pool. Lake. The oh, lake. We're, we're across the lake from the pool folks. Oh, that's the Murrays. Yes. Yeah. So, me and the my pool's family. Gone now. I, that's what I heard. Yeah, they took it out it's a year sad. or two ago. It's so sad, but they've done a lot of work up there. Yeah. It, it is this amazing little retreat up in the middle of nowhere. You have to snowmobile in to get there in the winter, probably while you guys on, why you guys only came in uh, the summer months. But it's so funny. When he's sending me his background, I'm reading through, and he's telling me that he spent his summers at Nez Perce, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, my buffalo jump was just down the road a half a mile. Where was the buffalo jump? I it, was trying it, to guess. In my mind. I know, I know. It was all mind, but, but it was somewhere on the road. I was yeah. trying to. So as you're heading up the road, right before you get into the tree line, the prairies are behind you, and that's where all the, you know, my cowboys and Indian scenes were, and it was super dramatic. And I ride my horses up onto the cliffs where it started to get really rocky, and I'd run my buffalo right off of that little cliff of <laughs> rocks there. Yeah, and then I had a little teepee. Me and my my buddies, we had little like makeshift teepee camp type things nice. in the tree line right I've there. Seen those, yeah. Yeah, your buddies. I built yeah, a few. Yeah, they were real. Too. Jackie, they're they real, were real friends. They're real uh, friends. They're know. still around. They're in the they room are. right now. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I didn't think okay. you had any what? friends. Then. <laughs> Whatever. You're my friend. <laughs> okay, so back on track because we are focused people. Yeah. I just wanted to tell you that tidbit because it was super fun. And that's a weird connection. And it's crazy that you have traveled like half of the world 
and have been all over the place, but yet we came from the same physical location. It's mind blowing. And he never ran into you during the summers at the Buffalo. Trail. I'm wondering. Uh, no, I, I definitely could. Okay, I maybe if I wore paint. There. I probably have wore paint on too. <laughs> yeah. I definitely played my share of cowboys and Indians. <laughs> In oh, still yeah. do with my kids now. Yeah, it's yeah. an amazing, magical little spot. It Who is. wouldn't? Center of the universe in my world. Basically. Um, okay, so so you, I know, got your start. You you were born in Los Angeles. Oh, geez, you said oh, that out loud. I, I, know, I live sorry. in Butte, Montana now. Yes, now you're in Butte, Montana. You had a little a little stint in Utah. Um, let's before we get into the why and the purpose of your company, just tell me a little bit about Padma organization, what it is, what the, the, wh- where the name came from and how it came to be. And then we're going to go back into who you are back in your childhood. Okay. Okay. So talking about Padma, there is probably going to be a lot of overlay on who I am, at least as an adult, we can okay. get into childhood traumas later yeah oh yeah um so i uh, uh, went to the university of utah illustrious institution fine place <laughs> and studied psychology and the last two years of my undergrad i was working in um uh two different research labs doing social psychology research stuff and was doing well really enjoyed it and um was also getting very into Tibetan Buddhism and Buddhist practices, Buddhist philosophy. So those last two years, and really the last year, I was um, going back and forth between going straight to grad school or, of all things, moving to Nepal to live in a monastery and really do this Buddhist thing. I'm going to die right now. I cannot even handle this conversation. I've been diving into learning about Buddhism, so it's so crazy and timely that, that you care, I have to know what made you even start that? Like what, who the hell becomes a monk, right? Great question. Right. That's a great question. And especially college age, right? College yeah. age, like the majority of people are like, let's party, let's, you know, take this traditional route, let's get jobs. I mean, it's very few people that go the monk route. Tell yeah, me about that. Buy a one-way ticket to Kathmandu. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, so backing up a little bit more, I definitely went the party route for a number of years Mm -hmm. through high school. I was a disaster of a teenager. Mm. I think I graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA. Epic. I know, Mm -hmm. and they let me graduate. Thank God. They wanted you out of there. (laughs) (laughs) We're not letting Luke back for (laughs) another year. Bye bye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I definitely got the party years in through high school, from 14 to 18, and freshman year at college too, Um, you know. Drugs, drinking, mm-hmm. fighting, oh. bad stuff. Uh-huh. Fun, some fun too, but generally bad. And I was in sure. a spiral heading down fast and um, had a couple of arrests and then had an arrest that was looking like um, a good chunk of time mm. without my freedom. Okay. Wake up call. Yeah, yeah, wake up call. And ended up in um, a rehab thanks to the kindness of uh, some people that. Family members, grandparents mostly got some money together to get me into rehab. And in rehab, I loved it. Clean and sober. And the rehab I went to was in the center of Salt Lake City. And they had contracts with uh, Union Pacific Railroad and General Electric. Mm. So there were these tradesmen from all over the country there. And little 18-year-old Lukey. <laughs> <laughs> Lukey. <laughs> 
And um, I loved these guys. And at that time, I knew I was I had a problem with drugs and alcohol, drunk and junkie. But I didn't recognize that other people had similar issues like me, like, you know, oh. in that way. I mean, I knew other people drank too much, did drugs too much, but I was, like, terminally unique as the, the type of addict I was, I think. But in rehab, I meet these guys, and they were wonderful, and they had crazy life stories, but they kind of took me under their wing. It's strange to say, but they were kind of like mentors to me, the, the fellow rehabbers. Yeah. Um, so by the end of that stint in rehab, I'm like, all right, we're going to do this 12-step stuff. We're going to stay clean and sober one day at a time. And um, I'd been introduced to this idea that it's a, a spiritual, you know, path of recovery. Mm-hmm. And I had officially fired God from my life. I think I was 12 or 13. Sure. Mm-hmm. I was pretty depressed, I'd say, from age 10 to, I don't know, 18 or so. Okay. So I had fired God, and but I was very spiritually inclined. So going into rehab, being introduced to the 12-step idea of defining your own higher power really brought me around to having permission in the agency to explore mm. spiritual traditions and what works for me, which sure. I did. Bought okay. books, you know, all kinds of different books, tried out different practices, got into Qigong and yoga, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. blissed me out. And I'm like, wow, this is great. All Feels I have to do amazing. is like move my arms like this and visualize some stuff, and I feel really good. Mm-hmm. And Buddhism was kind of the one that kept I kept coming back to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading books and trying these practices, and then I found a spot, um, took a year off college, and worked. And um, it was a tough year, but good year. And then by the time I was back to college, I was ready to learn and mm. be into it. Mm-hmm. And funny uh, how that works, huh? It's funny how that yeah. works. When but ready. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you're ready and after a year of working for 12 <laughs> bucks an hour. Right? You're like, I'm motivated. Like, yeah, I'm going to get this done now. <laughs> <laughs> These courses cost money, and I better learn something. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So by the time I got back to college after that year, I was really, I'd say, my primary passion was understanding the human condition, the human mind. So psychology is the best way to do that in the West, and Buddhism is the best way to do that in the known universe. Yeah. So the next couple of years, those were my two you know, passions. And by the end of undergrad, I um, uh, had worked on a research project and had a it's called authorship thingy on there. Had my name on the some research, so was accepted to go present my research at some fancy uh, conference in Atlanta, adult development something something conference. Wow! So yeah, it was it was neat. It was a it was an honor. So I go do that with my mentor, this professor who's fantastic, <laughs> and was so dejected by the end of that conference. There oh was no. it was it was very competitive and. Ego based, <laughs> and I'm I'm this kid that's like I just want to know why we're here and what this human <laughs> condition is about, life? and yeah. it was very competitive. Like, what university are you from? And you know, PhDs kind of arguing back and forth about nothing, and it just felt empty. Yeah. And uh, so after that conference, I said, okay, so I'm going to graduate, and I've saved up some money, and I'll buy my one way ticket to Nepal and go try that stuff out. So I flew to Nepal. What was it? Graduated in May. I think I flew in July. And I had some connections from who I'd been studying with in Utah, uh, studying Buddhism. At you, you know, I had a place to stay and start out. Flew over there, and I didn't really realize that Nepal was in the midst of a civil war at the time. Interesting. Yeah. 
which I, I learned a lot about life and pain and difficulties in the undeveloped and developing world that first year. How much different year. they have it compared to what we have Absolutely, here. Yeah. yeah. Pros and cons, though, I'd say for sure. Um, so I land in Nepal, and I was staying in this monastery on the outskirts of the valley, right by this big pilgrimage site, this mountain that has really neat mythological history and stuff. And it said if you walk around this, like, two-and-a-half-mile loop around this magical mountain, you know, it blesses you sort of thing. So every morning, I didn't really have a schedule the first couple of weeks I'm there, so I go walk around this magical mountain. Can't hurt. Yeah, can't hurt. <laughs> and it was beautiful. They, they had these large rooms with um, on, the, on the loop that would have giant prayer wheels, mm. large metal cylinders, large, oh. like, I don't know, two stories tall. With oh. billions and billions of prayers and mantras, like magical syllables in them. And if you spin these wheels, the energy of those prayers goes out, you know, covers you, goes out in the universe. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. And it, it was a powerful experience to just be in those spaces. But the rooms had frescoes on all the walls with, like, hundreds of uh, deities and, like, angels and heavenly realms depicted. And... Um, they just made my mind feel happy yeah. to yeah, do those loops. But the one big thing, walking that, that loop every morning, there were dozens, maybe hundreds, I don't know, lots of children that were begging from me and from everybody walking this loop. And they live on the streets. They live in the jungle on this mountainside. I don't know where they live. And some have broken limbs, you know, mm. maybe fake broken limbs, some of them, some real broken limbs. You know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I start, and I had no friends, I didn't, you know, I knew like the couple monks and the, the head lama at the monastery, but they're kind of busy, so these kids became my best buddies those mm -hmm. first couple weeks, and we'd hang out all day, I'd buy them lunch, <laughs> and they were beautiful little kids, mm -hmm. and hanging out with me, we'd just have fun, and there's monkeys all around this mountain, so we'd feed the monkeys, and oh, yeah. I love monkeys. <laughs> me too, I love monkeys, they're monkeys adorable. are great. Um, so hanging out with these kids, that was my first uh, totally unexpected experience of, oh, Nepal's not just this land of beautiful mountains where, like, the mist comes down over yeah. monasteries and you're just chilled out and yeah, peaceful Just sitting in permanent zen. Just sitting in permanent <laughs> zen mode. <laughs> There's a civil war going There's on. There's a so civil clearly. war going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so meeting those kids was a, <laughs> was a powerful uh, experience, and I remember walking with those kids and thinking, like, looking around, like, does nobody else see? There's, you know, kids living on the streets that have nothing. And in hindsight, I understand it better. I mean, everybody was struggling at right. the time. Mm -hmm. There's only so much you can do. And there's networks of it's, – it's a complex situation. We'll say that. Um, so I, uh, I move across town to this um, institute that's housed in a monastery but in partnership with Kathmandu University. So you can get your bachelor's, master's, PhD, mm. studying – Buddhist philosophy, Tibetan language, and there's a bunch of grad students from around the world that come there to, you know, study anthropology stuff of Himalayan peoples and visiting scholars. Really neat place. And when I was there, there was a hundred or two hundred students that were from, I think, like forty-five different countries, and we're all there because wow. we're into Buddhism and yeah. Buddhist philosophy, and we'd study with the monks. And we'd study in the, like, monks' classrooms. And it was this really unique marrying of very different cultures and fun stuff. 
So outside that monastery, there was one shoe shiner boy who had his shoe shine box. And every day I came out of the monastery walls um, to go back to my apartment, wherever I was staying. He'd walk with me the whole way. Shoe shine, shoe shine. And it was annoying. <laughs> it was bugging me. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I'm wearing sandals. I don't need a shoe shine. <laughs> so, so one day I say to him, I'm like, why don't you go to school? He's like, I can't go to school. We don't have any money. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I'm like, okay, well, how much is it for you go to go to school? He's like, $30 a month for very good school, top-notch school. Wow. Wow. So, um, so I call home, call mom, call some friends and family. I'm like, all right, who's got five bucks a month to chip in for this little kid? Oh, wow. So then I go meet his family. They live, like, across the street in this field with um, bamboo thatched huts and, like, dirt floor, very basic living, and find out they're, they're kind of this migrant gypsy group from Punjab, India. Mm. And they're very, like, low caste. Like, they're outcasts, you know. Okay. So I go meet the family. I'm like, all right, we're going to send so-and-so to school. I got 30 bucks a month. And they say, well, if he's going, his sister has to go. So that's oh, 60 no. bucks a month. No, so I, I'm like, well, you know, if they go to school and they show me their, you know, grades every month, then, okay, we'll try to work that out. So that was kind of the first impetus of the Padma organization, the first step of, you know, international support to fund um, making a change in Nepal. And so I stayed in Nepal that first year for full year, went to India for a bit, and then ran out of money, so fly back to America to work doing whatever, construction, sure. I don't know what it was at that point, uh, um, to save up money to fly back to Nepal, because I loved it. And uh, a friend of mine, Nepali guy, uh, calls me when I'm back in uh, Utah at the time and says, hey, I've got a great plan. Let's start a children's home and help a bunch of kids. And I say, okay, I'll put together one fundraiser. If we get enough money to start it, then we'll start it. So I... You know, call the newspaper, call the radio, local radio, and get on there and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to talk about this problem in Nepal, and we'll do a fundraiser, auction some stuff, and, um, yeah, come show up. So it went really well. We got enough money oh. to start the home. And then I kept working. Sorry, wh what's enough money to start a home? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, like, millions. But there, it's much more modest. So like I what think it was, like, $5,000. Wow. Yeah. So and five thousand. Yeah, five thousand. Crazy. And that that was the budget I think for the first year. Okay. To help like two dozen kids wow. to rent a space, hire um, some people to manage it, run the home, uh -huh. a cook, and to pay for you know basic nutritious food. Wow. And then we had a deal that we secured with um, a good local internationally funded school. Fascinating. $5,000 just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could blow $5,000 today. Yeah. Like I blew five grand in the casino last night. Right. Diamond Lills. D d oh. <laughs> 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 Do you want me to edit that out so your wife doesn't hear it, or are we good? <laughs> no, we're good. She was there, too. She oh blew God. seven grand. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. No. Okay, sorry for the interruption, but I just I think putting that in context, like how far money can yeah. go in a different country is yeah. really important, because here, like the red tape, yeah, and shut that yeah. down. Like yeah. you'd be <laughs> the amount of money. So anyway, carry on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. F five grand, 
five grand can go a long way in Nepal. Still, too, not not quite as far as it could in two thousand six, but maybe ten grand today. Um, so that first year, we had uh, I save up enough money to fly back over, get the house set up, get it two dozen kids or so in there, and then the next couple years were um, consisted of me going to Nepal, India, Thailand to go on Buddhist spiritual adventures and um, check on the home and uh, fly back to the States to work, save money, and have fundraisers and try to cultivate donors and monthly donors and so forth. And the second project we got into, because I was very into 12 steps back then, Mm -hmm. so um, this one friend of mine who had gotten clean and sober Nepali guy, he said, we need 12-step meetings. So we started Narcotics Anonymous meetings in Kathmandu, which had, there had been one effort before our effort to get NA going over there, but ours kind of uh, exploded, took off. And uh, that led to getting to know the, it was mostly men that would come in. There was you know, stigma against women dealing with their addiction issues in Nepal, I think still there today. Interesting. So it was mostly, almost all men, and I started seeing that it wasn't, their backgrounds and upbringing were insane. And we talk about their biographies, and it was basically gang warfare across Kathmandu Valley, and the things these guys went through and the things these guys did were, um, you know, terrible, crazy, hard to recover from. So some friends in Utah and I put together a program to start a, an outpatient rehab center for those guys, mm-hmm. focused on addiction recovery, but also on what we called gang violence reduction program. Okay. And it was really all about treating trauma, working with the heavy trauma these guys had went through. And that program lasted uh, several years, and one of the, the all-stars and head administrators of that program, he started a new program two years ago that Padma's also advising on and helping fund now, too. Wow. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So much. How are, (coughs) so, like, so what are you doing for income besides fundraising for the action? Like, how are you living? I know you went back to the U.S. to, you know, to make some money, but through the course of this time frame, how are you, how did you do your education? How are you uh, going back and forth? How are you just... Good question. <laughs> I was robbing banks. Oh, <laughs> the old bank. Should we edit that out too? <laughs> now we know who oh, it was recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. The guy in September, those guys, in se- he, he looked like my, b- anyway, that's another story <laughs> for another day. <laughs> Take two. That was not me, by the way, <laughs> Mr. FBI. I'm going to go back and check the video on that one. Yeah, <laughs> check the video. He was wearing a mask, he, like a COVID mask. Oh, check the eyes. Yeah, check the eyes. <laughs> The eyes. <laughs> He's got my eyes. Uh, so through my 20s, I was uh, deeply impoverished. Okay. I would save enough money to go live on $1 to $2 a day in Nepal or India. Okay. Which meant uh, work construction in Park City, Utah, which was a good gig to have. And mm. still would be a good gig, gig to have. Park City, it's where I grew up since I was from 10 to 18. And when we moved there, it was middle-class ski bum town, and now it's, I call it Aspen Junior. Right. Mm, okay. Um, I don't even recognize it anymore. But work in construction there was So, like, seasonally? 
and then you'd go back yeah. over. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's and and weather. What's the weather like in Nepal? Is it is there year round? Uh Kathmandu Valley, I think, is at five plus or minus thousand feet. Mm, okay. So pretty um it, it doesn't it you you'll get below freezing a couple nights a year. Okay. Oh but but there's no indoor heating. And okay. most of the buildings are like concrete. Mm-hmm. Concrete walls, so you feel like you're in a concrete freezer. Ooh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels colder. Mm-hmm. I I was colder living in Kathmandu winters than I get living in Butte, Montana. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's nights that's get very cold. I bet. Yeah. So on a dollar to two dollars a day, is that are, are you living with other people? Are you renting? Are you kind of like? Ha- um, I'd be uh, slumming it in monasteries mostly. All right. I th- there was one monastery that has a, a teacher who I love. He's a, he's he's my guru and he escaped Tibet when the Chinese invaded in the fifties and sixties and set up camp first in India and now he's in uh, Nepal. But I had a little room there that I could mm-hmm. stay at and can okay. still stay at whenever. They're they're my family. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I, I just ask those questions because I always think people are like, how the hell does this guy afford to do that? I would do that too if I could. And it's always the if I could, yeah. but that's the thing is like, how, you know, what yeah. is, how do people live these unconventional lives? And it sounds to me like it's basically committing to doing it and it's pretty dang affordable if you're willing to go without. That's what it was for luxuries. me through my twenties. I could not live that lifestyle now, no. not just because of the uh, family responsibilities, but it, it, it would not be comfortable enough for sure. me in this, you know, sure. as a 28-year-old. I'm right. 28, right? 20 I'm not 40. Take, take 12? This yeah, is your yeah. 12th 28 time? 28 plus 12. Okay. <laughs> Just okay. had my 12th, 28th birthday. Perfect. Congrats. Um, but, but living like that, too, was uh, I learned a lot. I, I'd, I'd go on little pilgrimages or th- there'd be some prayer festival in North India somewhere, and I'd just buy a train or bus ticket and travel with a bunch of Tibetan refugees, be the only gringo on the bus, mm. and you get off the bus, and it's like, all right, I got $25 in, in a week and a half, and go wow. mm. and figure it out, Yeah, which I loved to having those kinds of adventures. Sure. I don't really I, – I speak Tibetan pretty well, and uh, but don't speak Hindi, a lick of Hindi, and to just be put in a – developing, undeveloped uh, town, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not filled with uh, crime and, you know, no functioning government. Right. You have to figure it out. Yeah. It was really fun for me. You're it, was a, it was just a good mental exercise. <laughs> okay. That, that would be the deal breaker for me there. That would be the comes deal to breaker. Safety. That's the big pass for me. <laughs> That's something I wouldn't do today. That, yeah. Well, I, I don't need to do But 25 and, you know, I yeah. conquer the world. It's like. Yeah, let's a little learn stupidity or frontal lobes people. not even developed yeah, yet. That's what lobe. happened there. <laughs> Same soldier, <laughs> soldier mentality. I can do this. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. that's what was so when I went to to Costa Rica. It's my first international trip, you know. And, and the, the there's so much English there. The majority is English because if you don't speak English, you can't accommodate the tourists, right? Yeah. Because it's come a, it's become a touristy area. But man, you get into some areas where they didn't speak any, and it is intimidating. I mean, I'm yeah. talking about sitting at a restaurant. We're not talking Civil War craziness. We're talking like sitting at a restaurant, and I'm worried that I might order, I don't know, pork instead of chicken. But I mean, it, it's just crazy 
when like they she's looking at me and I'm looking at her and I'm like the universal language is smiling so I would just kind of smile and nod yeah. and then she'd smile and nod back I'm like okay we can mirror each other but neither of us know what the hell we're saying and hopefully I got the beef yeah well yeah. I ended up getting two meals actually because we confused that it somehow I, I mean it was great yeah. but I think of that and trying to tr- I mean travel just trying to figure out not be taken advantage of I mean, if, if you're in another country and they know you don't speak their language yeah. like you are and sometimes you are, and that, that was definitely part of the game. And a big learning curve and part of the process with Padma Organization, too, for sure. Because mm. being a gringo in Nepal, where you meet some people and you have to learn quick to decipher who just sees dollar signs on your yes. forehead mm-hmm. and who are good people doing good work. Right, yes. And I'd, I'd say through trial and error, I became pretty good at that. Interesting. Yeah. And the partners we have over there now, I trust with my whole heart. Okay. They're good people. And it's in part because they're uh, independently very successful financially themselves. Mm. So they have no other motivation to work on the projects than to do good work. To do good work yeah. and help. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So then moving. Okay. F- first, I just want a little digress here. The language stuff, fascinating to me. So you speak Tibetan. Is that the only other language that you speak? Yeah, pretty much. I joke that Nepalese and Spanish are in the same spot in my brain Mm. because I speak them very basic conversationally. Mm -hmm. So they're in the same spot. We we moved from New Mexico up here to lovely Butte, Montana in August. Mm -hmm. So we would have, um, you know, if I uh, had an opportunity to speak Spanish, my wife still jokes that I mix it with Nepalese. Oh. I blend languages. <laughs> blend it. You never know what and you're really <laughs> saying. <laughs> they're in the same spot. T- Tibetan has its own corner for sure. Okay. But there, there was something in me I was passionate about learning to speak Tibetan. The first trip to Nepal. I, there was one day in particular. I'm sitting in my room obsessively studying Tibetan language. And I'm like, huh. I'm like 23 years old and in a monastery in Nepal, and all I want to do is study Tibetan language. Mm. This has got to have meaning. Yeah, it it was just like innate in me. Mm -hmm. And uh, like conceptually, it makes sense to me. I wanted to be able to talk directly to this this meditation master Mm -hmm. uh, individual that I was staying in his place. Um, But it really felt like it was just in my DNA to learn Tibetan. Interesting. Yeah. And um, the wife and I, we moved to uh, Nepal in 2010 and were able to stay from 2010 to tw- through 2015. And at, uh, and I entered a translator training program and was working on my master's degree in um, Buddhist philosophy and Tibetan language and then was able to teach Tibetan at that uh, institute for a couple of those years. But yeah, t- Tibetan was just a big part of my life. Tell me something cool in Tibetan. Say something. I got to hear this. I don't think I've, I would know the, I wouldn't recognize it. Something cool. Cool in Tibetan. Mm-hmm. Let's think. All right, we'll start simple. Tashirilek kirang kusuk deboinde. No comprende. No, you didn't get that? No. No, no, It's beautiful. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah it's very beautiful. It's a good language. I, I've been uh, accused of having a Californian accent with my Tibetan. Oh. Hmm. Whatever that means. Yeah, what I does that know. even mean? It means I don't speak it very well. Like a Western flair yeah, to yeah, it, basically. Yeah, a little Western flair. Mm. Um, that means, like, hello, good wishes to you. How are you doing today? 
Nice. Will you say it one more time? Tashi Delek. That's like hello. It's kind of like aloha. It's uh-huh. like, you know, blessings to you. And you yeah. say it when you come and go. So Tashi Delek and then Kirang. Kirang's you uh-huh. in a respectful way. Uh-huh. Kusuk is a respectful term for you and your body and your mm-hmm. well-being. Debo means well. And then Yinbe is is it or is it not? <laughs> wow. So does, is that... W- was it a hard language in comparison? I know, like, English is supposed to be one of the hardest languages, but we just know it. Spanish is supposed to be pretty easy. Where does Tibetan fall in that hole? Uh, it's hard for me to say because I've never been really into learning another language. That mm. being said, I think because I was really passionate about mm. learning it, it came pretty easily to me. And one thing, when I'd be back in the States, go- going back and forth before I was in the grad program over there, um, I would study Tibetan language from books, and then I try to speak to Tibetans, and they're like, "We don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> no comprende, <laughs> which was frustrating. But but then when I was in the program learning, I'm like, "Oh, I have all the pieces from these books I've been studying, but I just kind of had them mixed up." So then oh. I could pick it up quite mm. quickly. I think I was like, "No, Luke, this is the mistake you've been making." I'm like, "Oh, okay, just move that piece." Yeah, when you're immersed in it, it's so different. Could yeah. you imagine learning that here and not having that feedback, immediate I, I feedback? I tried it. It was tough. No yeah. go. No go. <laughs> okay. So back to Padma organization. And what does Padma mean? Padma yes. means lotus flower. Uh, we picked that name because the lotus flower is very symbolically meaningful all throughout, all throughout Asia, but especially in South Asia and Buddhist and Hindu culture. Where the lotus flower is the symbol of enlightened compassion, mm-hmm. which starts growing in the dark, stinky muck of like swampy water mm-hmm. and then grows out and doesn't blossom until it comes all the way out of the water and then it blooms into the light into the light yes beautiful yeah just like your your start right i mean like th- yeah i guess so right yeah. into the, the, the muddy mucky yeah 13 yeah. to 18 and when the frontal lobe wasn't developed yet <laughs> 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 and then boom there's the beautiful flower okay that yeah, that's a really cool cool name Thanks. Yeah. So what has it grown into? Because I know that you were at one time you were fully immersed and now you've stepped back to where you're just the director. You're not as involved. Have you have you grown? Have I'm you actually handed it off? more involved? OK, tell I'd me about say. that. So from 2006 to 2015 or so, I was founder and president of the, the board of Padma mm. and nobody was being paid anything. We kept it this like perfectly pure. Nobody gets any money, and we do only really good, pure, good work. Mm-hmm. And then in, uh, I'd say it was more like 2014, we had more and more projects coming online. And then in 2015, we decided to start organizing and leading international service trips through Padma for high school students to work on our projects and other projects from organizations we know, love, and trust. Okay which took a lot more of my time. So then transitioning to the executive director who's accountable to the board allows me to get a salary. Okay. So that was the shift. Yeah, that okay. Makes that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, to make it. Nonprofit world's kind of funny. It's, yeah, been learning about it for years now. But h- how to structure things and how to get paid and who gets paid and how to get funds, it's, you know, a unique universe. Yeah. So that was the big shift. But, um so in 2015, my Spanish teacher from high school, mm. 
who uh, I terrorized as a student. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he had been leading uh, service trips around most Latin America for 10 years or so at that point, and he's buddies with my oldest brother. And he asked my oldest brother for my contact info. So uh, George Murphy, or Murph as he's known, mm. Spanish teacher, he calls me up and he's like, hey, Luke, I, let's do a trip to Nepal. Can you put that together for me? And I said, absolutely not. Mm. There's <laughs> no way I'm taking a bunch of teenagers <laughs> to crazy Nepal right. to uh, work on some project. And I'm like, yeah, and I don't think they need you. <laughs> I'm like, we, we got stuff going on. We don't need a bunch of teenagers just getting in the way of stuff. Right. <laughs> so I turned him down for, I don't know, better part of a year and a half. And then one of my best Buddhist buddies, Tim, who is living in Nepal, um, I told him about this idea, and he's like, no, I got an idea for this. He'd been um, uh, hanging out in this hot, like high uh, elevation monastery, more monastic community. It's like a village of a thousand monks and nuns living in the Everest region. And they needed uh, earth-sheltered uh, greenhouses mm. and some instruction on how to grow stuff well. Mm. So he's like, we need laborers for that stuff. Let's bring some teenagers over. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I call up Murph, and I'm like, all right, Murph, I got a plan for us. So then, I, I don't remember, it was 2015 or 2016, put together that trip and took, I think we had 60-something teenagers. Wow. The That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of hormones. Uh, was it's a, a lot of scariness. Yeah, a lot of hormones. <laughs> just a lot of teenagers. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. coughs> um, so we fly into Kathmandu and um, do some little sightseeing stuff and then board a bunch of vans. Or they weren't vans. They, they were souped-up Jeeps. Like mm -hmm. They'd seat 10 to 14 people, these big four-wheel drive Jeeps, to drive high up into the mountains. We'd go up in the mountains, and there were two kind of main temple areas, communities. So we split up, and we built a, a water system so that the monks and nuns didn't have to walk hours down the hill with buckets out of a creek um, and built these really cool, big, earth-sheltered uh, greenhouses. And it went really well. And the biggest thing I saw wasn't just that the project we did was of of value was actually necessary. Mm. Living in Nepal, there's a whole industry, and other develop, developing countries too, there's a whole industry of taking advantage of the gringos yeah. um, under the auspices that they're doing good. Mm. Where it's really, okay, so you guys go paint that fence and then hang out with the kids for an hour and get your picture with a little gringo face with a bunch of uh. cute local kids and then yeah. get out of here and thanks for the money. Gotcha. Which I'd seen a lot of in Nepal. And other places, too. So we didn't want to do that. We wanted a really vital project. And we're good at doing that. Anything we work on is necessary. But the biggest thing I saw was the transformation in the teenagers we brought over, mm. exposing them to Buddhist meditation masters and Amazing. high Himalayas and culture that's totally different than anything they've seen and challenges and difficulties that you have to get through together sort yeah. of stuff. Mm -hmm which has kind of become the biggest uh, um, why for me on these trips now is uh, what the, the teens can get out of um, these nice. experiences. And I've been thinking in my little psychological way about <laughs> ha wha why I'm so into <laughs> that, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with my disastrous teenage years. 
where when we sit down and plan out our trips for next year, the question in the back of my mind is, what uh, what experience, what place, what project would have been most transformative for, for me you. when yeah. I was 15, 16, 17? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we put that together and give it to yeah, a it's bunch a of lucky teenagers. A double win. I mean, it's a win for Nepal or wherever you're going yeah. and whatever country you're in, and it's a win for those teenagers to see. Because it. it's, it's amazing. Like, just taking my daughters to Costa Rica, which is, like I said, way more developed than what you're talking about. Like, it's... They don't, you can see pictures, you can watch movies, and until you're actually like seeing yeah. how other people live, like they have no real idea. And to you see the pictures, you see the movies, but you don't really see feel it. the realness yeah. of what it's really like when you're there, I'm presuming. So yeah. yeah. They what can show the poverty pictures and the, the, the children living on the street and that, but until you get there and immerse yourself in it, yeah. you don't fully, you're not able to take in the experience that you need to have. Totally. And then add in the positive element for spiritual growth to just have that that little bit of enlightenment or the you know the opportunity to learn that and that's that's just crazy amazing so that's that's really cool. I'm ready yeah. to book my trip. I know. <laughs> I was like, what do you need? What do you need? I'm there. Go back to high school. Okay. Yeah. No. I'll sign up tomorrow. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, so where, is it just Nepal that you guys are in, or have you guys expanded to other areas? I think I recall you saying. We're all over the place now. We're like a virus mm. spreading across the planet. Might be too soon for that reference. <laughs> <laughs> edit that. That's, that's on the edit room it's floor. It's a good virus. Yes, it's a good, good virus. virus. Okay, yes. okay. <laughs> What's a good virus? I'm trying to think. Okay, we're done with the virus. Sorry, yep. moving on, moving on. <laughs> okay. Um, so in, uh, w whenever we started that first trip, what I noticed was that in not just having the students go do this trip and do cool projects, but it also broadened our donor base because we have mm. students that come home and tell their families and their parents are like, wow, you've changed a lot in your two week yes. trip with Lukey Pookie to Nepal. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, Let we me pay him. <laughs> Well, support other projects that we're doing yeah. that don't have volunteers <coughs> on them. Um, so it, it's really become the core base of growing projects around the planet uh, that either we bring volunteers to or that we don't. Mm. And uh, back to Timbo, Tim, who put together the first Nepal trip, I really should be very grateful to Tim. I never would have done this without him. I didn't really realize that till this moment. Did we just witness an epiphany? I we think did. you did. I yep. see a epiphany light over inside. your head. <laughs> <laughs> There's what literally a light right there, though. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's cheating. <laughs> Shoot. Um, so we did the first summer in Nepal, and then Tim calls me up in the fall, and he's like, I spent a bunch of time in Bali and have some connections there with people I know, love, and trust that are doing really cool stuff. Can we do a trip to Bali? I'm like, mm. I don't know anything about Bali. I'm not going to Bali. He's like, no, I'll put it together. Let's go. So then I go back to Murph. I'm like, hey, Murph, you want to go to Bali next summer? Who says no to Bali? Right. Nobody says no to Bali. So uh, the next summer we go to Bali, and that trip goes great. And uh, there's some very wonderful organizations over there, some marine biologists we work with that are kind of uh, becoming more and more of a core part of the Padma team too. And the students go to Bali and stay in – little bungalows on the beach in rural northeast Bali. <sighs> and we're restoring this destroyed section of a uh, coral reef. It's 
So we build these large, like, 300-pound artificial reef structures. Students get to deploy them. We have uh, we started a plastic recycle center where the students go with the local kids, collect plastic, and uh, we turn it into building materials, like 12-by-12-inch mm. 12 square blocks, and then these giant Lego little blocks that um, we they use over there for uh, a school project. They're working on to build classrooms out of recycled plastic. So that's oh, wow. neat stuff. You're a total badass. I just want to just like be you. It's amazing. <laughs> that's so Some awesome. Days. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's not without like major hard times. I I don't uh, take that lightly. But God, it's amazing where you're at right now. Though that's so cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I I feel very lucky. The the stuff I get to do feels very uh, fulfilling. I'd say. So we, we've been working in the, in Bali for a handful of years now and leading trips there every summer sans COVID. COVID, that was a disaster for our trips. COVID, huh? I almost forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, block it's that out. Block, block out uh, Yeah, that's what I've done. Is COVID's over. Out. It is. COVID's a myth. Yes. It never <laughs> happened. Let's <laughs> write that out happened. of history books. <laughs> made up. Um, so we, we uh, long story short, we've had trips all over the place and have projects all over the place now. This next summer, I think we, uh, let's see if I can remember them all. We have a trip to Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands, back to Bali, a trip to the Azores Islands where we started a program this past summer. I don't even know where that's at, Azores Island. Where's that? It's okay. That? I, I didn't know either. Yeah, I've never heard Edit of it. Edit that out. You can't tell people I didn't know where they're. No, it's, it's out now. It's, it's fine. Out. It's okay. It's humble is good. Vulnerable is good. There you, know, you go. Where the hell I is like it? That. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, where is it? <laughs> yeah, just tell us where it is. Never heard of it. <laughs> Azores are a group of nine islands smack in the center of the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. Not quite the center. It's like 3,500 miles, whatever, uh, east of like Boston and a little over 1,000 miles due west of Lisbon. Sounds cold. It's not cold at all. It's not? It's no. nice. Okay. It's, I'm it's in. like Lisbon <laughs> weather. It's, okay. it's 75 year-round. I was there in July. Air was 75. Water was 75. Oh, I'm interested. Very hmm. cool, special islands. They're, um, they were like a pirate port for a long time, and then they were a major whaling hub. Mm. Oh. There's 26 different species of whales and dolphins that go through those islands throughout the year. Mm. So that I think 1976, whaling ended. Thank God. Poor whales. I know. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Can't even think about that stuff. So whaling ended, Azores economy kind of tanked for a while, but now it's a hub of marine science and conservation because they have all these really unique mm. animals, big and small, that go through the islands throughout the year. Wow. And it's slowly becoming a tourist hub, hopefully slower rather than faster because yeah. it still has this wonderful old world, super cool charm oh to man. it. So we did marine conservation work there this summer. Oh, and then our new trip that I get to go on. I only go on the new trips now. Oh. The new trip is uh, we fly into Bali, do like two days in Bali, and then fly to Komodo Island where we board a giant pirate ship-looking sailboat and sail island to island through Indonesia, <sighs> scuba diving, learning marine science, marine conservation, and underwater photography. Wow. I know. And that. that's a trip? That's a trip. When do I have to have my bags packed? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sign me up. I know. <laughs> Very That's cool. a good one. And that, that trip, I think we end on an island where we work with the Marine Megafauna Foundation. 
which is based in Florida. They do cool work around the world, and they're studying manta rays on this island. So the students learn about manta rays, and then I didn't know this either, but manta rays have spots on their stomach, mm. and they're giant. Manta rays are like right. over 20-foot wingspan. They have unique spots on their stomach. Mm. So this Marine Megafauna Foundation, they take pictures of their stomachs to monitor their movements around the planet. What? So, we so that's how they identify them? That's how, they, yeah. You, what? You By unique them. spots. Yeah. Spots. Crazy. Wow. So we take the students out, teach them some free diving skills, and then try to dive under and swim with the manta rays and take pictures of them. Dude, your life sucks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> some days. <laughs> Not those days. Not swimming with the manta ray days. Those are good days. Yeah, that's great. But is there sharks in the water? Uh, Not there. Okay. I'm good. It's good. Which is, it's kind of sad, though, because sharks are getting killed by the tens of millions. Why? It's heartbreaking. Uh, number one cause, I think, is shark fin soup in China. Oh. Yeah. And just fear and not understanding. Yeah. Fear, probably. Jobs. Yeah. It, it, it's mainly the shark fin soup. That's It's an illegal poacher. And they'll catch sharks, and they just cut their fins off and throw them back in the water. Oh. Because if they, they get caught, And you they know, need their fins, too. Of course they need their fins. Yeah. They just sink yes, to the bottom Jackie, and die. You need your thumb, right? No. <laughs> just kidding. Sharks are under attack. Mm. It's sad. That is kind of sad. It is terrible. I'm going to read on that all afternoon, obsessively. Shark fin soup. (laughs) (laughs) Shark fin soup. I'm going to take a note of this. Jackie, don't order shark fin soup. I would never eat a fish soup. I actually like shark. I'm never eating it again now. I've never eaten shark fin soup, but I do like shark. I mean, not anymore. No, never eating it again. Um, Quick, I have a couple quick questions for you, because then we're going to switch over to talk about your lovely family, but... Will you just give me a summary? Because I'm obsessed with learning about Buddhism right now. But I think it's, I've learned so much just because I thought it was what it was. And it's not at all. Tell me, like. Wait, wait. First, t- tell me how so. What did you think it was? Um, I thought it was an organized, actual, I thought it was a lot tighter organized religion. Like, kind of, you know, like, like there's a, there's a God. Uh-huh. Right, and it's yeah. and it's not. It's like they. It's it's not. It's a lot more informal than what I thought it was, and it's way more to me humanitarian than anything. It's not about you don't worship your you don't worship your teacher as much. It's the teachings that you worship or you really embrace. How far off am I? Um, uh, um, I did. Bu- Buddhism is interesting. But, like, I, I hear the, is, is it a religion? Is it a philosophy? Is it a way of life? Right. It's kind of like, yes. To all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where in the in Nepal, the, the way I was practicing it, and still pretty much practice it, it's very religious, mm. I'd say. There are definite edicts that you do. And um, in, I'd say, the majority of the Tibetan practices, it is a kind of, fundamentally about your devotion to the guru Mm. because there are unspeakable like incommunicable through words transmissions that you can only receive through um the power of devotion like there's this analogy that uh in the tibetan traditions that um uh the blessings of the guru are like a hook and the devotion of the student are like a loop or something okay so you need them both. Mm-hmm. And it's not, uh, and it's it's more like the practicality of it. Mm-hmm. You, you 
the way those teachings are presented is that the more open and receptive the student is, the more powerful the transmission can be from that immediate teacher and that teacher's, you know, untarnished lineage. Mm. But then you go to, like, Thailand, yeah. and it's a quite different practice of Buddhism, mm. where the teacher's not revered as, like, higher than God or right. higher than the Buddha's where it's more, here are the teachings, and um, this is exactly what Buddha Shakyamuni said, so practice just like that. Mm. And then I'm just some, the teacher is just somebody that's like a little further along the path. Yeah. So you get... So more like a mentor. A mentor in a, in a very important and precarious role. Okay. Because when you get really into, uh, like really into Buddhist meditations, mm -hmm. it's kind of a razor's edge. Which I think, I think it's kind of a disservice that you don't hear that as much in the West, in the States, or right. I don't see that. Mm -hmm. Where it's almost feels like mindfulness is presented today as like a panacea. And also sometimes I get the sense where it's like, oh, these mindfulness teachings are the real essence of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Leave all that dogma religious stuff out of it. Yes. This is all you actually need. That is, that is way more in line with the three books that I've just read. Way more. Yeah. So that's so interesting. I'm going to have to intentionally search for Nepal and then Thailand to kind of see the that's difference. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. Okay. To well, get, yeah. We could probably speak on that for like three hours. I just wanted to, you know, somebody that's lived and been there, it's just been so fascinating to hear the different stuff on it. So um, tell me about your wonderful little family because somewhere along the lines as you're out, wandering the world and doing amazing things, you fell in love and got married, and now you have four kids. So how does yeah. that all play into this lifestyle? I'm still sorting that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, uh, um, how'd I meet wifey? I, I was working in Nespers, which I would do in uh, uh, college and a little after college. I'd go fix fences or chop trees down or mm -hmm. you know, whatnot enjoy my time up there, usually by myself, and meditate a bunch. Mm -hmm. And my grandparents had a place on Flathead Lake. So I'd stay at Nespers and Elk Park mm -hmm. and then go visit them. So one summer, my grandfather says, um, hey, Luke, I heard there's some Buddhist community in Arlie, north of Missoula. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'll go check it out. So I go check it out, and lo and behold, the, the guy that started the Buddha garden in Arlie came from, comes from the same lineage of Tibetan Buddhism I'd been studying. What? Wow. With, and of like a hundred lineages. Wow. He's in my lineage that I know and love. Bizarre. And he wasn't there, I don't <coughs> meet him, but the, um, and didn't meet anybody for several visits there. I'd just go hang out at the statue in the middle before all the stuff was there, and then go see the grandparents. And then one time I was going to see the grandparents, and I had a, uh, um, there uh, she goes, cough and fit. There goes I'm going to go ahead and excuse Jackie from this podcast. Deuces. She's gone. Carry on. Sorry. Bye, Jackie. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> and then there was us. And then right. there was us. I'll fill her in. Okay. So uh, I went there one time, and I'm kind of like praying in front of the big statue in the middle. It's prayers, world peace, or I don't know, whatever I was into at the time. Mm -hmm. And a woman walks up behind me and says, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I turn around, and it was uh, who would become my dear, beloved wife. Mm -hmm. 
and she was wearing Carhartt coveralls, and uh, she was the the like groundskeeper, maintained, was managing you know all the all the grounds at the time. And she grew up in Pennsylvania and uh, had gotten sick of um, Pennsylvania and lived and worked in Yellowstone oh, wow. for a handful of years, and then she was into Buddhism and she ended up at the Buddha Garden and she stayed, lived, and worked there. So we became fast friends, and she told me if I wanted to, I could stay and live there and make the uh, statues. There's a thousand statues up there, Buddha Shakyamuni. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I could be the statue maker? You'd let me do this? And she's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we need somebody. Yeah, you can definitely do that. Romantic. <laughs> yeah, romantic. Um, so I was, the, I was the statue builder in the barn at the Buddha Garden. Off and on, when I wouldn't be in Asia, I'd come back there. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are the statues made of? Uh, it's a porcelain concrete composite. Oh. I didn't put the amalgamation together. The, oh, the, gotcha. the maestros before me did that and made the molds. So you're pouring the molds? Me. Yeah, you pour the molds, and then there's flashing and bubbles that you have to work with for hours on end for okay. each statue. It was lovely meditative work. I'm going to go check this place out, yes. Yeah, it's it's a special place. Uh, so I did that, and me and Rinchin, we were just kind of best buddies for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then we went to uh, Quinn's Hot Springs, and I had the hots for her at that point. And we oh. got back, and I tried to kiss her. Oh. And she said, what are you doing? You're going to ruin this. I think that was verbatim <laughs> what she said. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know why, but she changed her mind. Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. I was, a handsome, I was a handsome 25-year-old. Very good. Yeah. No, you can't tell by now, but. Oh, back stop then. That. Back then. <laughs> so uh, you guys have four children, four kiddos together, mm-hmm. and is she involved in this lifestyle? Is she involved involved in the the nonprofit, or does she do her own thing? Or? When we lived in Nepal, she was uh, very involved. She was like, uh, you know, a house mom uh-huh. at the kids' home, and um, the whole, I'd say from then to now, she's done the bulk of the communication. Work with uh-huh. uh, donors and students and families that are coming on trips, and then also does the bookkeeping before we pass it off to our, you know, out of house accounting company. Mm-hmm. So that's been the core of her Padma role. She's come on one trip uh, to Bali with our mm-hmm. oldest son. They came, and the I'm I'm hoping we can get all of them more involved and on the trips because I get home from trips and I get dirty looks from everybody. Oh, you bet you do. You oh, tell I was us swimming about swimming with man yeah. rays one more time. <laughs> it was such a hard day at work. <laughs> What's the age range on the kiddos? Um, 12, 11, 10, 8. Okay, yeah. So they're getting up to the age where they can actually participate yeah, in the, yeah. the groups I mean, too. I, I mean, once, once they're in high school, for sure. Yeah. We'll have them all on trips and um, – They'll have to save their pennies to get to come. That's right, yeah. yeah. What, is, what does a kid have to save? I mean, what's the, the cost of a trip the on av- average? The average is around $3,000 for two weeks. Wow. <coughs> Very cool. Are you bringing that to you now that you're here? Bringing? This program, allowing Oh, into students? Montana? Yeah. Uh, we haven't reached out to any school. Kind of the, the this past six months, I'd say, I've been – obsessively learning about entrepreneurship and marketing and leadership, mm-hmm. which has been fascinating and fun. Uh-huh. So kind of related to that, our mm, main marketing model is uh, 
getting teachers or faculty members at high schools on board with what we're doing, uh -huh. and then they get students to come. Sure. So uh, we haven't reached out to any Montana schools yet. It's been kind of organic how everything's grown. It's like we have a, and it's mostly still based in Utah, but we have some East Coast schools now, one school in um, mm -hmm. L.A. that's doing a trip to Nepal, kind of in partnership with us this spring. Yeah. yeah. That's, this area could certainly use it with, I mean, it's a, it's a heavy drinking, partying, yeah. cultural, it's got that culture here of, um, yeah, the cycle, the cycle needs to be broken here, yeah. and it would be an amazing program for our area. We did do sure. a trip to Bob Marshall this past summer Ooh, with yeah. a school from Vermont. It was our first domestic trip, and uh, it was lovely. I've been yeah. looking for a reason to get into the Bob for my whole life. Yeah. Sort of spend a couple weeks there doing trail maintenance, wildfire mitigation mm -hmm. stuff. It's incredible. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, but something like that. And there are some there are some very cool Montana-based organizations, like mm. Bob Marshall Wilderness Foundation. Mm -hmm. And they have great funding. So, I mean, you can go do a trip with them in the Bob for like 75 bucks wow. for a week. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. What's uh, What's next? we start to wrap up this awesome interview what's what's next for your organization for you personally uh organization i'd say in the last year has um it's growing a lot mm -hmm. and where it was with the trips especially where it was a handful of me and my best friends mm -hmm. putting together trips has now branched out where i'm the boss of mm -hmm. people that i don't know all that well oh wow so, which is neat, and um, it's also requiring uh, a whole reframing of our standard operating procedures, which mm. is a big project for the whole year. Sure. Getting our processes and protocols um, expanded and all in place. So that's a big project. And then also developing a, uh, the trip leader training program mm. to have consistency across our trips. And mm -hmm. that's for the teacher, or is that the for whoever? The, who, who's ever roles. leading trips. Okay. And our kind of standard is we have a, a program leader, a logistics leader, and medical staff, and then we'll have assistant leaders under them mm -hmm. where it's kind of an apprenticeship. They come on a trip once, then they can lead the trip the next year. But having that more codified and standard mm. and um, integrating personal development modalities into every trip mm. where – we're get getting a spiritual element, kind of like a Trojan horse of a spiritual mm. element. Sure. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. For the teenagers, we do breath work and some meditation-y stuff. Oh, my gosh. So amazing. It's good stuff. And then one of our board members and kind of a mentor of mine, Clint, um, he's uh, started the Parks Leadership Institute at Fancy Pants Cornell University Ooh. where he got his MBA. <laughs> so he's been helping um, add in leadership training, team building exercises. Mm -hmm. So this March, all of the all of my favorite trip leaders were all meeting in Ithaca to go work with Clint for about a week on oh. um, to get the full download of his personal development leadership training stuff and then brainstorming on how to integrate that with what we already have. So that's one big piece, and then reaching out to new schools because we have the logistics and the groundwork to grow right now. Right. Where for really until this last year, it's been more of a hobby for me than my main source of income or something that I could see or want to really grow. Right. So this year, I am fully committed to that. We're going to grow this thing. Amazing. And then I'm also in part-time grad school to become a psychotherapist. 
Interesting. Psycho. Yeah. What do you, what do you plan to do with it? With the degree? Um, one on one therapizing people. All right. Kind of part time. So you're actually going to use it in the clinical. Yeah, setting. absolutely. Wow. And then also have you know be be able to integrate pieces from that into the the trips too. Yeah. The program. Yeah. That's interesting. At the beginning, that you said that you were at that spot where you were going one direction or the other, one for psychotherapy or for uh, psychology, with the other towards um, spirituality, the the towards Nepal. And here you are coming back, yeah. and which I will say it, that was part of the decision making process back when I graduated, because mm-hmm. I'm like, should I go to grad school right now, and become a you know therapist? And I'm like, well, I'm 23, I have no life experience, mm-hmm. and what I'm going to learn is going to be a sliver of what I need to know to be able to help people in that right. kind of setting. Yeah. So this kind of was in the back of my mind the plan mm. to go live life, fail a bunch, mm-hmm. succeed. A bunch or yeah. some, and uh, have a family and be uh, you know semi somewhat successful or something, yeah. and then go back <laughs> to the uh, therapist idea. But that was always you know in the backpack of what I knew I'd end up doing. Interesting, yeah. very, very, very cool, very admirable. You've got a definitely an interesting life, and like to live vicariously through. That's me. I'm like sitting here right now, yeah. like oh my gosh, those are all. It's it's amazing. And let's go to Bali. I'm, I'm, that's where I'm going romantic. next year. Are you really? Yeah, that's my next trip that that's I'm planning. Fantastic. Yeah, but that's the thing is like I'm. Talk to me before you go. I, I 100% you can will. You meet some cool Hindu gurus that'll yeah. blow your mind and. Well, that's so. Go to cool villages. Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm still kind of in that transitional period where I've got kids and they want to do vacation. And yeah. I'm like, no, I want to expose them to real life. Yeah. Like, I don't. Going on vacation is fun for like a day or two, but I like to just experience the real culture experience what it would really be like for them instead of being in a, like a resort right yeah. and that's man, the only thing i can do i, I it's know my, i can't my nature is something in a resort yeah. i feel it's icky I, yeah it's I, it's I being it. in america yeah with walled, in another literally in walled off from yes. the community and culture yeah yeah and now, now that we you know we went to costa rica because it's very um touristy and so you can like it would have been culture shock if we would have started with something else, like going to maybe Bali or like Nepal, like you're saying. My kids would have, like my middle one would have literally froze in a panic the whole time. <laughs> I mean, it's just new, you know, so you yeah. kind of have to like work into it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to take the kids next year and, and experience it too, but I really want it to be something that's a little bit more meaningful yeah. because they their takeaway from Costa Rica was more of they wanted to learn a new language. They, I mean, my middle one is actually looking at plans on moving there or somewhere similar. So sh- her her mind is open to the possibilities of international and seeing, like, she realizes, wow, there's other ways of doing this, yeah, which is amazing. And then my younger one is 13, so she's got a ways to go before. But I want to expose my 13-year-old as much as possible to all the different places and different things so that it, it opens her mind to permission to try different things, too, yeah. as a young adult. And also might help her learn to appreciate where she came where from. Where she too. came from. Yeah. yeah That's a sure. lot of what I found. And I hope yeah. I can facilitate that with my kiddos too. Oh, like I, I love what you're doing though. Cause I, when, when you were talking about adding in like the meditation, the breath work, my life, which I'm, I'm, I wouldn't change a thing about my life. I, everything, you know, we build upon experience, experience, experience to be able to get to where you're at right now. And you need that dark, murky, muddy water to grow from, right? Yeah. Just like yeah. the, lotus but um with my kids like i i've introduced my oldest to meditation 
and to <laughs> just, uh, yoga, trying to get her into some of those type of things. And I think if I would have had that at 13 to 18, those dark years, like something, yeah. imagine how much just more grounded they would have been through those young adult years. And so I think it's really cool that you're trying to do that for others that aren't your own kids. And then, but here I am, I've got my own kids. I'm like, here, you should try meditating. They're like, I'm bored. You know, <laughs> I took, I took my 13 year old to a class. It was a yin yoga class. Yeah. Uh, and I said, this is, this is more on, you know, like meditative type stuff. There's not a lot. It's not hard. It's, she comes out of there. She goes, that was the most sophisticated nap I've ever taken. <laughs> And I'm like, well, but it was it, a good nap. It was, yeah. you know, and it sparked her interest enough that the next time I went to yoga, she's like, oh, I want to go. Can I come? Yeah. And you know, she did a hot half a class. She said thought she was going to die, but it's it's just planting seeds, yep. one after yep. the other after the other, and it's exposure to yep. cool things. And some of the kids you're taking and doing these trips may not ever they they may not have parents that can teach that or people in their lives that can teach that. So totally, and they come amazing. from situations that are sometimes pretty tough and yeah. challenging. Yeah. Even if they have money, you know, parents are getting divorced or yeah. whatever. Whoa. Oh, I guess my ringer got turned on somehow. So Time's up. <laughs> that would be the timer, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add? Do you want to give a plug? Is there any way people can get involved with your organization? Is there anything else about your life that we missed that you think needs to be said? Oh, wow. I know. So that's on so the spot. much. I know. It's so much. Uh, the, the first one, sure, check us out, podmoorganization.com. Okay, and I'll add that in the notes as well. Yeah, and uh, so that's a good one. What else? That covers a lot. We covered a lot about me. We didn't talk about my lovely kiddos. My kids yeah. love Butte. Love that they love Butte. And Rinchin does too. Yeah, Rinchin's doing great. Um well, yeah, she, she's doing an EMT program now. I didn't get to brag about her as much as I wanted. Oh. I had some search and rescue team stories I wanted to share about her. Okay. She was on search and rescue when we were in Santa Fe. And she's in a nursing program now. She's excited about. Awesome. So she's not going to do the stay-at-home mom thing. She's going to venturing into her own career as well. Yeah, uh, uh, awesome. eventually in the next mm -hmm. year or two, I'd say. Yeah, Part-time studying, kind of me with the grad school stuff too. Mm -hmm. Part-time, slow, slow. <laughs> What is it? Uh, yeah, slow steps onto the bus sort yeah. of thing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what else? Yeah, that's it. I don't know. We talked about a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. I think we could probably do a second session, <laughs> maybe after Bali, have you we come back do and do another one. Buddhism session. I know we should. I've got to read. I've got two more books on my shelf that I've I'm Who digging into. I'm curious. Oh my God! So I've the right now. Um, I'm on Jay Shetty. Think like a monk. So that's been kind of interesting because it's very basic. Yeah. And then another one was Tim. Oh God, Tim something, which sparked me when you said that that was your mentor. Um, and it was it was basically a, a Buddha boot camp. So it was, mm -hmm. again, real basic. And then the next one I've got is a Buddha for beginners. Cause I, I am at the very beginning, just kind of learning. And I, like you, um, got rid of or fired God or whatever you want to say. I've been very much not a... <clears throat> not a believer in religion at mm -hmm. all. My entire life, I wasn't raised around it or anything like that. And there was no hostility or anything bad said about religion. It was just, you know, I had a, I had an experience where I was in church with my ex-husband and the, I, th I get this mixed up, the pastor, because it was a Christian-based thing. The pastor, um, th they wouldn't allow women to speak in their mm. setting. And I was like, well, that's crazy because I'm, you know, 
I'm a fan a talker. of well, fe- yeah, and or, I am or just a being female, and I'm speak. like, yeah, that's crazy, yeah. you know, in Butte, Montana. And then the, he also had made like he had started talking about how you know gay people are going to hell, mm. and I'm like, okay, I can't. Like this is, I just can't. This is not. And I come from more of just a like, I'm a lover of animals. I'm a lover of people. I'm just a lover of humanity. Um, so anyway, so I kind of was like, you know, religion is bad. And, that w- and you know, I was like 18 at the time, so it was really um, impactful for me. And then also I had a, my very first boyfriend's family was very, very, very religious. And they were uh, Episcopalian maybe. I don't even know really what that means because I was too young. But the same thing, it was like they, all I witnessed was judgment and kind of like you're not welcome to sit at our table is what I witnessed yeah. without really knowing anything further than that. Um, so I kind of wrote religion off myself. But what has been fascinating is this podcast I've done, you're my 18th episode, and I believe probably all but maybe five, I'm guessing, maybe five have had conversations about spirituality. So it's really, mm. it's been interesting. So Universe I started telling you something. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I've really been kind of digging into all the different things and trying to find understanding and I had one of the one of the ladies she was my first episode I've become good friends with her over the last year year and a half and she kept talking about God 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 and you know and uh, all of these spiritual type things and as I observed over the last year and a half it's like we're saying the exact same thing I say the universe she yeah. says God you know something higher than you it, to me it's like oh the universe gave me a sign whatever and so it's it's just been interesting to see everybody that has like a real not everybody but my guests that have had like a real strong purpose or have had a calling of some sort anything that was really profound where their life had meaningful change and they grew and they have had success in their lives there's been an underlying spiritual aspect to that faith connection spiritual yeah connection. Yeah. yeah so I just kind of started um, there was I actually was walking to yoga one day. And a little voice or whatever, like the universe said, look at the bookshelf. And I looked to the left and I looked down and it said, you know, grab the Buddha book. And I'm like, <laughs> that's interesting. Huh. So I looked at the, the top shelf, the middle shelf, and there was no Buddha book. And I'm like, okay, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crazy. And as I started to walk off, I had that little, that pull, that little thing and said bottom shelf. And I looked down and sure enough, there was the first book. And it, it was, was, you know, Buddha for beginners is what yeah. it was. And that was the first one that I picked up. So, yeah, just diving in, yeah. learning all about it. Dive in, don't stop. Yeah, and it's it's a respect thing, just like I, I've been teaching my kids because they have unfortunately picked up my attitude. I'll call it an attitude towards <laughs> religion. Yeah. And so I've been gently encouraging them instead to, to really to learn it, to understand it, because from understanding comes respect. And it doesn't mean you have to attach to it and identify with it and even believe or follow any of it but just a a general understanding out of respect for others yeah so that's that's where i'm at yeah that's interesting the the comparison oh my gosh i have a new uh, uh, confession guys i have a new iphone and i still don't know how to work (laughs) it i have a very old iphone and i i still don't really know how to work it so i'm a converter from samsung to iphone and i still just don't know how to figure it out my brother was forced to convert to iphone and he hates it he's always lamenting it it's a tough speaking of conversion so anyway sorry to interrupt one with this. quick story yes then please we're probably out of time yes um i was uh i was working in a grocery store uh, during one of these you know hiatuses back from asia mm-hmm. and i see um somebody and working in a grocery store you kind of get really in tune with everybody you know mm. 
or at least I did. Mm -hmm. Like you can kind of tell what mood they're in, what mm. kind of customer they are sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I see this one guy, and he kind of had this like glow about him. Like he just looked really good and healthy and kind of spiritually. Mm -hmm. And he turns around, and I recognized him from the church that my parents took me to in Utah when I was a kid. And he turns around, and I immediately say, Dan Thomas. And he, he's like, yeah. I'm like, Luke Hanley, you were buddies with my dad. He's like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So then we uh, get some coffee, and he's like, what are you up to? I'm like, oh, I'm into this Buddhist kick. And he's like, oh, we really dropped the ball with you. He's a very, you know, Christian guy. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but we're, he, he has this lovely energy to him. Mm -hmm. So he says, well, Luke, all right, here's the deal. We can meet once a week. I'll buy you breakfast. And you have to read some piece of the New Testament, and I'll read it too, and then we talk about it. He's trying to, like, convert me, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, that's a great deal. I'm totally open to that. Sure. So I'm reading the New Testament, and I'm reading, Jesus is awesome. Mm -hmm. Love Jesus. For sure. So I'm reading this stuff, and every week it's like I felt powerfully that Jesus is telling me to be Buddhist. <laughs> Interesting. So I go, I, and I meet with Dan, and he gives me his take, and I give him my take, and sometimes they align, sometimes not at all. But, um, and then it culminated after a couple months of this. He's like, Luke, you got to make a decision at some point. I'm like, no, I already have. Yeah. I'm Buddhist, and Jesus is totally good with that. <laughs> <laughs> at which point, Dan kind of lets go of the, all right, we got to convert Luke. Mm. But it um, started this, I mean, still, when I go to Utah, I try to go have lunch or breakfast with him. And we're just best spiritual buddies. And oh, so he is reciprocal. Sure, to yeah. Your side. And, awesome. and and he's 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 not going to become Buddhist no. anytime soon at all. That's fine. But we have this lovely spiritual connection across such very different conceptual understandings. Sure. And um, but we still have that connection. So kind of when you were talking about that with yeah spiritual people having their own personal connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I've just it's it's amazing how much closer I've become to just people in general because it doesn't have like hmm what's an example okay so we'll just use the same example um the, the girl that i told you about that i've become close with over the last year and a half in the past if she had started talking all about god every other you know conversation had that involved i would have resisted that relationship because it just made me uncomfortable yeah. and now it's like being open to all of that different stuff not only am i you know, open to it, but I'm also like inquiring when people start talking about their faith. It's, you know, I ask them and it's, it's a, it's a bonding experience. And I haven't had anybody that's been negative to me because I'm not a Catholic or because yeah. I'm not a Christian or whatever it may be. I also don't like labels. I mean, I have a hard time even just saying I'm married because it's like <laughs> a, you know, it's, it's a, to me, all of that is like a, um, like a chain. It's a, it's a yeah. label. It's a, it takes away from who I am as a hmm. person, because instead of just this me, now I'm a wife, or now I'm a Buddhist, or now I'm a Catholic, whatever it is. So I, yeah. I, you know, I don't like labels anyway, yeah. <laughs> but I like that. the understanding underneath and just kind of the why. It's always just chasing the why. Yeah. yeah. So. But yeah, um, yes, we'll have to have you back again and get some more in-depth. Maybe we'll do Buddhism. Maybe we'll do a specific travel thing. On, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we could I do a million things. Tips. Yes, I love travel <laughs> tips. Thank you again, and anybody that's interested in learning more about uh, Luke's organization, Padma organization, if you check out the notes, I'll have a link so you can check out his website, and I'll probably put some social media links as well if you want to reach out. There's something really amazing you want to chat with him, and until then, thank you so much, Luke. I so appreciate you. Thanks, Tracy.
All Great right. to be here. Clocking out.